Hello, everyone. Thank you for tuning in to the new Mainstream Podcast, where we explore the impact of multicultural consumers on marketing and media. I'm your host, Mario Carrasco, and co-founder of ThinkNow. Excited to introduce our guest today, Christina Wong, Director of Public Policy and Advocacy at Northwest Harvest. Welcome, Christina. Hi, thank you for having me. Yeah, of course. So um, you have a wealth of experience and uh, which really interesting field, which I'm, I'm excited to dig in about inclusive farm bill advocacy. Um, but before we dive into that, would love to learn a little bit more about your career journey and what led you to this important work. Sure. Thanks for asking, Mario. So I I guess where I would start is um, I always I, I always maybe go a little bit too far back. I tell people about how I was an English major in college and didn't really know what I wanted to do as I was approaching my senior year. Um, I just knew that all of my extracurricular interests were in social justice and service issues. Um, and I didn't want to pursue English academically. But I found a graduate program that talked about doing public policy advocacy through a social work lens. And the reason why you do that is because that way you're really centering the first person experiences of people um, who are most impacted by barriers to services. And that way we can undo the systemic harm and institutional racism that's been baked into our laws that limit their access to services and limit their accesses to access to opportunities and start to undo that harm. And so for over the last 25 years, I've really been a social justice advocate, um, working in a variety of positions that always kind of um, really focuses on that philosophy of learning from providing a direct service about how do we make public policy work better for the people that we're trying to help. So over the years, I've worked on issues um, related to interpersonal violence, comprehensive immigration reform, and disability rights. And I first came to food insecurity and hunger policy a little over 12 years ago when I um, came to Northwest Harvest, which is Washington State's independent statewide food bank. Um, we provide nutritious food to a statewide network of 400 food pantries, meal programs, and high-need schools. And it's really been uh, at Northwest Harvest where we talk about how hunger is a symptom of poverty and poverty itself is driven by systemic racism and other forms of systemic oppression. So if we wanna end hunger, that's important that we dismantle those systems of oppression. And we try to do that, not just through the work that we do in trying to make sure that the food that we are distributing is culturally responsive and is working with programs that are creating accessibility to food for people, but also through our public policy advocacy. We are um, working with people with first-person experiences of hunger to learn about what are their um, issues that are creating barriers to accessing food, healthcare, housing, their essential needs, and working to through public policy change to, to remove those barriers. That's amazing and an incredible journey and one I, I empathize with and that I too was a English major that um, didn't want to get into academia, although I did end up getting my master's and um, mainly just because I didn't know what I wanted to do, but um, passionate about social justice issues as well uh, and diversity and inclusion, part of why we want to have you on. Um, I, I think what, what struck me the most, right, was 
yeah, this in institutional racism, and that's obviously feels like a really big thing to tackle, but you're you're tackling it in a very specific and meaningful way, I feel like. Um, when we talk about, I guess for me and the listeners too, like we talk about farm bill advocacy. Can you tell us, like for those of us that are not familiar, like what, what does that mean? Yeah. So the farm bill is a comprehensive piece of legislation that Congress should enact every five years, not always on schedule. And uh, in fact, we don't know if they're going to be on schedule this year. But um, you could really think of it as the um, the big bill that governs our food systems. It um, impacts everything from um, the support for the farms that grow our food to the practices that help preserve farmland and forestry, um, um, clean waters. Uh, and then the part that people don't necessarily think about is that SNAP or the Supplemental Nutrition Assistance Program. Some people uh, might remember when it was called food stamps. Um, that program and other nutrition assistance programs, programs that help low-income people be able to access food, that is also part of a farm bill. And mm. it makes sense to hold those pieces together because if we're talking about um, a bill that governs our food systems, then we have to talk about hunger because if hunger exists, then that food system is inherently not healthy. So um, what the farm bill means and why we do advocacy in this space is because when, they, when Congress uh, passes or reauthorizes the programs in the farm bill, then this is our chance to make policy changes to help make those programs work better. Not just SNAP, but all the programs um, that are governed by the farm bill. But when it comes to SNAP, for us, we really want to make sure that we can help make SNAP um, work better for people, meaning um, be more accessible to people who need it, um, to be able to increase the adequacy of those SNAP benefits so that people who are using SNAP can afford a more nutritious diet, um, and then just to make the program work better for folks who are already on it. The other thing I'll say about why equity in our advocacy is so important is because I think everybody can, whether whether you are experiencing an economic crisis right now, can feel for yourselves the impact of uh, an unhealthy food system. We're going to our grocery stores. There are supply chain disruptions so that sometimes there are empty shelves. We can't find the things that we need. The costs of food, um, you know, of, of eggs and milk, all that. Everybody's feeling the brunt of those um, of, of inflation that is increasing the cost of food and other essential needs. So that's so when we think about this farm bill, which is due this year, this is our opportunity to you know it's more important than ever. I guess is what I'm trying to say. It's um, all those pain points that everybody's feeling. It's more important than ever that we are all involved in letting Congress know how um, the, the pain that we're feeling on our household budgets when it comes to food in order to have the best possible farm bill come out of this and make things better. That's that's super helpful. And, and, and I have a follow-up question, but one thing I thought about off topic is that, I don't know if you've seen, but recently there's been a discourse on social media. I, I mean, not recently, but I think it's been more prominent lately, just about the quality of the food in America. Many people 
let's say, traveling to Europe or Latin America and maybe eating more than they do in the States, less unhealthy, quote unquote, but yet feeling better, not gaining weight, not losing weight and, and coming back and saying, I don't know what's going on with the food in America. Um, I guess my question to you, like, does the, does the farm bill include that, like in terms of the food quality in general, or is that something you're not necessarily touching upon that you're, it's more about access to food and not as much quality? Well, what I will say to that, and, so, and some, some people have told me I would get in trouble with big farms over this, right, is that the Farm Bill has the potential to impact that because in the Farm Bill are um, our, our crop subsidies, what, um, what money our government pays to help regulate market prices for, for food items that we are growing in our country. And I, I, you know, when, when you're looking at what crops are subsidized, it's things like sugar and corn. Um, I, I have a, um, I like to joke that uh, we, we, we subsidize the food that feeds our cars and other animals, but not necessarily the food that we want to eat. A lot of the, um, what we call specialty crops, um, the food items that are grown usually by struggling small family farms, um, especially out here in the West, California and Washington are the biggest producers of what we call specialty crops. So those are things like apples, potatoes, onions, um, uh, pears, uh, all the all the the you know the the kind of produce and food that 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 are um, are parts of um, you know what we think of when we think of fresh locally grown food that would be more nutritious for our diets. Those don't traditionally benefit from the big subsidies uh, and also um, uh, smaller family farms. Um, they're, you know, the Farm Bill has the potential for programs such as, you know, farm loans and things. It's not my area, my specialty area, so I won't dive too deeply into it, but those are um, areas that could definitely also be thinking about what are the interests of those who are most impacted by a lack of access to uh, subsidies and other support programs in order to help improve the quality of food overall. Um, but when it comes to our advocacy areas, our, our lane, our wheelhouse really is in that nutrition title space and around increasing access and participation to SNAP um, and other nutritionist programs that are in that in, in, in um, that title, Title IV of the Farm Bill. So that also includes things like the Emergency Food Assistance Program or TFAP that provides commodity foods to our um, to our food banks for, for distribution. Um, another commodity program is called the Food Distribution Program on Indian Reservations. Those are commodities specifically for uh, food banks that are on tribal reservations. Um, uh, the Farmers Market Assistance Program, our Nutrition Assistance Program for seniors, that provides cash value vouchers for seniors to be able to shop at their local farmers markets. Those are the kinds of programs, the programs that are kind of designed to be thinking about um, that interplay between food grown on farms and then also specifically for low-income people to be able to access food. That's that's really more of our area of focus. Yeah, and, and, and that's really why I invited you on and to tie a little bit, right? We, we're a market research marketing podcast, but I think what 
drew me to your work is that, you know, the Farm Bill SNAP related provisions impacts millions of people. Um, and, and many of those voices go unheard. Um, and so, you know, why is it one important to, to engage and empower diverse communities in, in, in the advocacy and policy making process? Um, first question, and then two, how are you, how are you gathering, how are you, how are you gathering this, you know, massive amount of, of data and opinions and needs among these diverse communities? Yeah. So it might also be helpful for your audience just to start off with an explanation about SNAP. You know, SNAP is our first line of defense yes. against hunger. And I think people hear about it a lot um, in the news. You know, like we, we certainly heard about it in the most recent um, battle over our debt ceiling um, that, you know, and, and as a result, right, I think that in popular media, SNAP has a bad reputation for folks. Um, but really what SNAP is, is it is a modest amount of money. I'm talking the average benefit is $2 per meal um, per person. So think about how much you spent on lunch and if you could afford a nutritious lunch on just $2. Um, so it is a modest amount of money that low-income people can apply for and receive so that they can buy food from their um, farmers markets, uh, from grocery stores, from um, from local retailers that sell food. So in that sense, SNAP not only helps low-income people put food on their table, but it helps keep small businesses in our local food economies running and jobs from um, from those from those businesses. So the farms that are growing that food that are selling it to their local market, SNAP is helping to support jobs and revenue for those small businesses too. Um, and so in that sense, the reason why we want to be more inclusive of people who are using SNAP is because SNAP, just like other public benefits resources provided by our government, they have been subject to policy changes over the years that were really designed to cut government spending, but without making good policy decisions that are actually addressing the underlying need for those programs. And um, those policy changes are really based on some of the worst stereotypes about who is poor, who needs these programs and why. Um, as an example of that, again, going back to the debt ceiling debate, people might have heard a lot about work requirements. SNAP has a requirement that um, certain adults but, um, uh, who don't have children living with them and who aren't otherwise um, considered to be unfit for work, they have to report at least 20 hours a week for work. Sounds reasonable, but really, um, work requirements don't help people who are on SNAP actually find jobs because the reason why most people who are unemployed, who might otherwise be able to work, the reason why they're on SNAP is because they have deep structural barriers to employment, um, barriers that are caused from growing up in poverty. We're talking about, you know, lower education attainment. How easy is it for people to find a good job when you have less than a high school degree, for instance, or if you might have a criminal um, um, uh, charge in your background that's causing discrimination when um, a, a possible employer is running a, a background track, 
check. So that's just an example of um, how SNAP policy changes don't address the underlying need for the program. They're just cutting the number of people who need help from actually being able to access that help. So what we um, are trying to do through um, doing listening sessions with people who are using SNAP to find out what are their biggest challenges. Um, uh, we are learning about things, uh, everything from how SNAP benefits are too low in order to afford a, a good basic nutritious diet, um, learning about the problems that people are running into when they're applying for SNAP um, and yet still found not eligible to receive SNAP, um, even though they have high costs of living that are actually making them um, really are living in poverty, but they still can't access SNAP um, because the uh, income eligibility requirements for it are, 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 are too high. Um, things like that. Uh, then um, we're not just stopping there with learning from them about what are their issues and challenges of SNAP, but we're continuing to work with them to find out how would you prioritize the importance, the urgency of resolving these issues? And what is it that you would like to see be done in order to make the policy work better for you? And then um, we are working with our uh, congressional members to talk about those issues and barriers and finding champions to introduce legislation that would help make those policy changes. And then we're continuing to work with people who are sharing this information with us by training them to talk about their stories and their needs themselves directly with Congress, directly with the media. In other words, joining us as partners in um, the work of not just designing the policy ideas that can help make SNAP work better for them, but the, um, the legislative advocacy that it takes to help influence and convince lawmakers to make those changes. Yeah, and, and that's a great segue to my next question. So like, can you share for our listeners, like what are some effective strategies that you've had for engaging mobile and, and mobilizing diverse communities to participate in this type of advocacy that you've, you've been explaining to us? Sure. So um, I'll take as a concrete example, uh, um, you know, last year there was the White House Conference on Hunger and Health, where the White House really put out this call to community organizations saying, please share with us your ideas that can help reduce hunger and improve health. And you can do that by doing listening sessions or surveys and sharing with us what you found. So we started off by doing a survey that we sent out to our food pantry partners, asking the shoppers at those food pantries to take a moment to fill out the survey. Um, in the survey, we asked them about what are their barriers um, and uh, um, what are their proposed ideas that would help make things work better. We also included in there an option that if you wanted to continue talking with us beyond the survey to help us understand your answers better, um, then please provide your contact information. So from there, our next step was after we got back our survey results and we were sort of categorizing and analyzing what were concerns and um, initial policy ideas. We um, convened people who were interested and um, brought into the mix, not just folks who did our survey, but we have, um, um, our, I guess I would say like core group of community advisors who are people who are either using SNAP or recently on SNAP. 
Um, we call them our community advisory network. And we meet with them on a monthly basis and um, provide them advocacy opportunities. So, so folks from our community advisory network also joined in in this discussion of what we call the data walk, where we walk through our findings and we ask people for more context and how much does this conclusion um, resonate with their experiences? Whether they agree or disagree with it, um, and what, how would they prioritize and uh, um, and say would be the top line messages that are really important to convey to lawmakers? From all that, we identified um, three kind of main issue areas when it comes to SNAP. One, the first one is that um, benefits adequacy issue, the fact that benefits are too low in order to afford a nutritious food. Um, the second one was that uh, access to SNAP needs to be improved, meaning that there are many different populations of folks who have a critical need for that food assistance, but there's actual policy barriers that prevent them from applying for SNAP, even if they're eligible for SNAP. Um, you know, one example of that is immigrants with with legal status to reside here, there are there's all sorts of restrictions on um, on 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 on, the, on that population to apply for SNAP, even if they haven't identified need for it. Um, also, college students, low-income college students, have to work twenty hours a week on top of doing a, a course load. Um, in order to apply for SNAP. So there's just lots of examples of folks who have a real critical need for that assistance, but there are laws that are baked in place that prevent them from applying for it. And then the third area was um, in terms of how do we improve how people can use their SNAP dollars to make it easier to fit um, the lives of, of folks who, you know, like are, are you know, especially par like working parents, um, who, you know, otherwise on top of, in order to use their SNAP benefits, they don't have an adequate online retailer. They have to drive, you know, um, particularly rural communities, people having to drive 20, 30 miles in just one direction to get to a store in order to use their, in order to use their SNAP benefits. So in other words, we, you know, found three critical areas um, for improving SNAP, which is in adequacy of benefits, availability benefits and um, accessibility in using your SNAP benefits. Um, we uh, then, uh, you know, uh, in order, you know, talking about strategies, uh, there are opportunities that come up, came up, especially from the White House conference where um, members of our congressional delegation wanted to talk through what people's recommendations were for the conference. And so we were able to bring folks who participated with us in that either that survey process or community advisors, talked with them about the opportunity to, to talk with their congressional members directly, to, um, sat, um, worked with them to, to um, identify what their story was and what would be really key important things for the congressional member to hear, and then um, um, you know, um, invited them to participate with us. So. Uh, yeah, that, that's just sort of like the string of events of how we go from the formulation of an idea through the actual connecting with congressional members and supporting people to talk um, with their congressional representatives directly. And what we hear from folks is that if it is, such, you know, when you think about hunger, 
it is an incredible source of anxiety and stress in people's lives. And what they've appreciated about this process is they actually feel like they're being heard and that they're helping to contribute to making the program work better for others. And that's just incredibly, you know, um, more important to me in this process than anything else. That's incredible. And that's great to hear, right? For an industry that you're using surveys, you know, talking to, to, to really um, understand what the needs are and then the listening groups as well. Um, and, and, you know, listening to this, we have a lot of people in the private industry that are listening. You know, I, I haven't heard you mention any private companies. Is there a way that um, private companies can help and get involved with, with your work? Are there public-private partnerships like that? Absolutely. I mean, I think about how, um, I, think the, I think one of the issues that we deal with in, when it comes to hunger is that People often think about the solutions to hunger in terms of in terms of how they can help. They, they think about how they can help charities. They think about donations of their time. They think about donations of money, which is all important. I'll never I'll never say that's not important. Um, but I think people tend to separate in their minds the difference between charity and public policy advocacy mm. and how important it is to also support that public advocacy piece. Um, the reason why I say that is because, um, uh, you know, Northwest Harvest, we have traditionally not taken government funding for our food distribution. And the reason for that is because often public funding uh, requires collect collection of personal possibly identifying information from the people that you're serving. Um, uh, you know, and, and we have always had it as a core value that food should be given freely to somebody who asks for help, no questions asked. So um, we then speak with absolute authority here when we say that charity is not enough. It is a drop in the bucket when it comes to uh, actually helping people who are hungry. Um, Feeding America has a statistic that SNAP provides nine meals for every one meal that's provided by charitable efforts alone. So wow. um, when, I, when we think about the private sector um, and uh, both as individuals and as businesses, um, you all help us when you also take a moment to join in the advocacy efforts. And we try to make it as easy as possible. We provide templates for contacting congressional members. Often business, um, businesses have different relationships with their, um, with their, with their elected officials than, than we do, especially when I'm thinking about, you know, grocery stores, um, uh, businesses that are working in the, in the food industry, right? You, um, it's a different relationship and context than us as a food bank has. And when it comes to advocacy, all of our work really is to demonstrate diverse and broad stakeholders who are all saying this is an issue and these are the right policy decisions to, to help make things better. So, um, you know, when, when, when businesses and individuals can find a reason that resonates or connects with this issue and use your relationships and influence 
in, um, in order to talk about the impact on, on you as well, then that's always helping us with helping to improve um, you know, the, the results of our advocacy. Really, uh, you know, so our, our mission statement is um, we are growing food justice through collective action. That collective action piece has always been the most important part of the mission statement to me because it recognizes that hunger is not uh, the result of, of lack of personal responsibility. It is the result of a lack of justice and it um, hunger hurts all of us, which is why it is also our shared responsibility to work together to end it in whatever ways that people um, or businesses feel comfortable doing. But I can't emphasize enough that the, the advocacy part of it is just as important as the, um, as the charitable giving. Yeah, and, and thank you so much for sharing that statistic, the nine to one. I had I had no idea. I think like most people, I I thought charity was the way to go, but you know, that's that's um like you said, it's important and it's great, but that's not addressing those systematic or systemic barriers to, to food that, that you were talking about. So thank you for sharing that. Um this has been a great conversation. I, I appreciate you having you on. Um uh before we log off here what what are your future goals and and aspirations i know you have there's a farm bill coming up like what's what are you looking forward to here in this next next farm bill hopefully well <laughs> speaking if, if i'm speaking with my my uh advocacy cap on we we know that with the um the climate in Congress that probably our best hope is to just come out of with a farm bill that doesn't make any changes this now. But in really like if you know if, if if Congress is responding to the needs that are on the ground, um, you know, food banks, we there there's no more give in our system. Anytime there's cuts to SNAP, it again that the, the cuts aren't addressing underlying need. And people don't have anywhere else to go other than their food banks. And our food banks are challenged by the same high cost of food, high cost of gas transporting food that individual households are seeing. And so there, there is no flexibility to be able to take on more need at this point for food banks. And so really my, my, my best aspirational hope is for, um, for a farm bill that increases the um, the accessibility and the adequacy of SNAP. It doesn't just protect SNAP, it strengthens SNAP, it makes it work better for folks. And frankly, I would also just love to see a more equitable approach to the farm bill overall. You know, you think about important um, um, sectors like farm labor, for instance, isn't usually addressed in the farm bill. We should be absolutely making sure that the health and safety of the folks who are growing our food is addressed in order to, um, you know, for, for the safety of all of us um, in having access to food. Um, also, when you consider um, sovereign tribal nations, they're often left out of a farm bill, but a farm bill that includes tribal interests in order to protect their treaty rights, make sure that we are um, respecting cultural heritages as well as important practices that can help um, save and improve our, our environment as well. So, you know, my best hope, of course, my aspiration would be 
for a farm bill that is more equitable and inclusive, not just when it comes to people who are experiencing hunger, but for everybody who um, is, is impacted and really everybody is impacted by our farm bill. Yeah, no, this, this is great. I, I learned so much and I'm sure our listeners did and we appreciate the work that you're doing. Um, if people are interested and want to get involved, what's the best way to connect with you and, and Northwest Harvest? Sure. We, um, I invite people to check out our website, which is at northwestharvest.org. We have a, a farm bill page that lists at our priorities, in, including important bills that we are track, uh, that we are tracking, bills that are um, representing policy changes that we would like to see made to important programs in that nutrition title of the farm bill. You'll also find that page links to our advocacy alerts and other resources to help advocate. Great. Thank, thanks again for joining and thank you everybody for listening. Um, don't forget to subscribe to the new mainstream po- podcast on Spotify or your preferred podcast platform. And thanks again for this discussion. Thank you. Thanks to everyone listening in. To get more multicultural insights, check us out at thinknow.com and follow us on social media. You can also subscribe to this podcast on your favorite platform. Final thank you to our producer, Lucas Martinez, who created our intro music and makes our podcast sound great. To email him, reach out to martinez.lucas.a at gmail.com.